Thank you very much uh, for tuning in today, guys. Um, my name is G, as you're aware, with the Leading with Empathy podcast. And today we have a special guest, a beloved Khmer American with quite the story. Uh, he's an ex-soldier specialized in explosives, which led him to Cambodia to assist him with demining efforts, where he started numerous ventures from STEM Cambodia, uh, a series of science and technology festivals inspiring thousands of Cambodian youth into science-related fields, as well as local QSR chain Owls Tacos, a successful food and beverage franchise, to, st still going, to a series of strategic advisory and directorship roles from the American Chamber of Commerce, the Mekong Future Initiative, Bluebell Cambodia, and currently serving as the WorldBridge Group Vice President. And I will add, somewhere in there, he's also building robots. <laughs> You know, and, and I've seen some of these and that happened during COVID and he was ideating all this stuff. A lot of great things that Alan has been doing for the business community, for the people of Cambodia. And I am just grateful for his time. So can I just start by asking, if you don't mind, how do you do this? Well, thank you so much, G. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. When you say it like that, it seems like there's a lot going on, but... <laughs> But but it's pretty simple when it when it comes down to it. Um, and I share this story with you before, I think, or I took this class on innovation. And this was maybe 10 years ago before any of the things that you mentioned happened. And I took this class on innovation with a professor who studied Silicon Valley and why is this place an innovative place? And what he did is he looked at all the patents that came out of Silicon Valley and he looked at all these companies and he made this incredible map he had mapped all of this and he realized that the people that were most successful, that had the most patents, that had the most activity were those that collaborated the most. And I know this resonates with somebody like you, who's, who's a collaborator by nature, who's somebody who wants to involve as many people and pull together people in different projects and, and, and use everyone's strengths and help, help to build the community. And that's exactly what this research had found. And that really sat with me. Um, and I was young at that time, just finished a master's degree, was just trying to figure out what, what I was gonna do and how I was gonna do it. And the main message coming out of this innovation class is that in order to innovate and innovate in your community, yourself and business, uh, you really need to surround yourself with um, great people and great a diverse, a diverse uh, crowd of people who are positive, who will build things with you, right? And don't try to own things, you know, don't try to, to, to be like the big owner of everything so that, you know, and keeping it to yourself, right? I mean, ownership meaning like taking responsibility for projects and, and pushing things and being a driver, yes, right? But be generous with the credit, right? And share it and be generous with collaborations, you know, bring people in because ultimately those things will end up making you stronger. They don't take away from your credit. So all of those things that you mentioned that I, I were, have been working on have been possible because I've, I've brought in people um, to, to those efforts in some way or another. And all of those are different, actually, how they fit together, how those puzzles fit together. But, but the, the common thread there is openness, like openness to have a conversation with somebody when you have no idea that there's going to, what, what could possibly come of it when it's not at all obvious the value of the conversation before you start. And I think that that's, 
keeping that open mindset is really important for entrepreneurs. It's really important for people who want to build things. If you want to be a builder, and I consider myself a creator, a builder uh, above all else and, 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 a, and someone who can grow things, right? Because we all have ideas and you mentioned ideation and we all have ideas and I, ideas are, are interesting, but and, and great, and we, we have them, but until we can kind of action those, and we need people to help us action those, unless you're, you know, a billionaire and you could just, you know, drop a team on something, um, most of us need to build coalitions to do those things. So anyway, so it sounds really impressive when you, when you, when you list all those things off, and it makes it seem like, hey, I have all these, you know, credits on, on myself, but really that comes with credits to huge amount of people who are around me doing these things with me and, and, um, and you can't do it alone. So that would be, how do you do it? That that's you can't do it alone. Yeah. I felt like there was so much sage insight in what you just said in those few minutes, because there was the collaboration aspect, which I absolutely resonate with. And I love that. I mean, your case in point, that's how you did it. That's how it works. And look at the success that not just you're enjoying, but all the people around you have have enjoyed from that I and you were saying what was interesting because collaboration sounds easy but you actually brought up something you were talking about openness the, like halfway through you were you talked about that was seemed to be the key is that would you say the key skill that's needed for people to to get that kind of collaboration yeah yeah I think it's 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 openness I mentioned one example is just an openness to have a conversation with somebody and I think to have a, a conversation with somebody, you have to be ready to receive information too. And one of the key pieces of information that you need to be able to receive from them is what's important to them. And so I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we there's this term evangelist, right? I want you to be an evangelist for a product and right in, in the tech world, we push that. And, and true believers and zealots, and, and we use all this religious terminology, right? To, to get behind uh, products and things. But, you know, one problem with that is if you're dogmatic about things, if you're not uh, listening to what another person needs, um, you're going to miss the point, right? And you're, and you're just going to be, everyone's going to be talking at each other, right? Instead of figuring out, you know, what's valuable, because it's not wrong that somebody wants to get something out of their effort, right? So when we talk also in the volunteering world, we feel like if we're too altruistic, we feel like, oh, you should want to do this just because volunteering is the right thing to do, right? And that's good enough. But look, people, people do want to volunteer, but they also want to get something out of it, which could just be a sense of fulfillment. And But how are they going to get fulfillment out of that volunteer experience? Is it because they want to interact with people? It's, is it because they want to teach people? Is it because um, they, they just, they want to lead a team, uh, you know, and they want to mentor young people to do this or do that, you know, so we need to figure those things out when we have conversations. So we need to listen and we need to listen with the intention of knowing what somebody wants when, when we leave and not judging it as, as necessarily being, you know, it's wrong that they, they want this or that. And especially in business um, or in social entrepreneurship, um, you know, I mean, we have to find the value, right, of every, uh, of every stakeholder. So we call it stakeholder management. That's another term that's kind of, um, not, it's a loaded term that's not, that puts the relationship on a strange footing right away. So I think it's, it's more uh, stakeholder collaboration or, you know, uh, and, 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 and stakeholder partnership, 
right? Is like finding what that partnership is going to be with each of the different stakeholders you're bringing into a project because it will be different for every person and slash organization, but also a person and, and an organization, right? You have a person who's representing maybe a company and that person has an individual objective and the company has an objective and those things are aligned in some ways and maybe not in others. And that's another thing we have to figure out. I was thinking at the beginning, the openness factor led into understanding other people's values as well as what they want. And it, you made a really good point there that what they want from, let's say, volunteering might not be something that you're even aware of. And, and you mentioned that listening and actually asking them. So how do you balance all that in your head? Like, you know, with all of their needs and, and things like that, like it sounded a bit intimidating for me. It was like, wow, that's <laughs> a lot to, <laughs> to bring on board. Do you carry that weight with you, though? Or how do you manage that? That's, that's a good question. And I'm not sure that it's all um, done in that, in that front of the brain, right? I think, I think some of that is, is done subconsciously too, right? I mean, we can be analytical with it, but, you know, which, which we just were in explaining it. But I think that, that it comes from also the emotional aspect of, a, of, a, of your relationship with people, um, you know, feeling if people are responding to what you're giving them and, and being empathetic and, and understanding their cues about their comfort or discomfort and not trying to railroad them. So everything, I mean, you mentioned AmCham in there too. Yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned all of these businesses. Actually, it all is consensus building is, is how I viewed it. And I think that that's where my whatever success came from those things that I've done, I think have come through building uh, strong support around what I was doing um, in the community as well. Even, even the, the book is a great example of that actually, because I mine the wisdom of so many people for that book. It's not, it's not just what Alan thinks about this, right? It's what Alan learned from all of those mentors, business people, yourself included in conversations we would have had would have contributed to that too, right? So some interviews were formal for the book. I, I did interview people formally, but the bulk of the knowledge come, came from informal learning, just having coffee with, with different people and listening to their entrepreneurship story um, or their, their story of being in Cambodia and, and, and what they learned, you know, both locals and, and expats, because that, that, that's, I mean, we'll get into all that, but the point is that um, is that building consensus around things requires that kind of empathy. And when you do that, when you get other people's input and let them into your idea instead of see, you know, holding your idea so tight that nobody can know about it, it also means that when, when it blooms, it blooms so big, right? Because you have so many supporters just waiting there um, to, to be on your side, basically, when this thing happens, so... That's really powerful. And I love it when, cause you, you brighten up a lot, especially when you say like it explodes, like with all that people and all that energy coming through. I think that's fantastic. So on, on, on the topic of the book, so that's great. So I was actually about to ask you next, what spurred you to write this book? Because it's also the, the point of the interview. So the collaboration standpoint. So what spurred you to write it though? Yeah. So when I was uh, at the American Chamber of Commerce, right. I was at, I was, um, eventually I was a board member and eventually elected to be president of the, of the chamber. And at that time, a lot of people ask you for advice, right? <laughs> and, and, and you, and, and sometimes you think, 
am I qualified to give this advice, right? Like any person who's dubbed an expert by other people, right? You, you have those moments of self-reflection, but in conversations, I realized that actually, uh, you know, I do know a lot of the things that people are asking because what they're asking is not complicated. <laughs> it's, not, it's not deeply um, technical. It's not those things that people worried about, right? Because for example, the, the thing, questions about law, people actually don't ask too many of those questions. That's not the hard stuff for them to figure out because they hire a lawyer, an attorney to, to go through that stuff. And that's what you should do, right? Same with accounting. You need, you need to work with an accountant and, and they'll figure out all those tax law things and all those questions. So that stuff existed on the market and, and it wasn't that, wouldn't have been a big contribution for me to just go through those technical things and kind of regurgitate them because there's great books out there. Soxipana has a great, fantastic book about the legal aspects of doing business in Cambodia also that covers all of that stuff. What I found that people were confused about was normal things that had become normal to me um, over 12 years, right? Or at the time I started writing over 10 years, um, which were how to behave, what, how to understand um, the nonverbal cues and, and, and the contextual things that were happening around me. Because of course, in, in Asian culture and Cambodian, Asian culture broadly and Cambodian culture specifically also, there's lots of things that are happening in a meeting that, that, aren't hap that, that are being communicated to you that are not just words, right? Mm -hmm. And in America, for Americans, that's not how we do business. We, we say everything that we want to say, that we, that we mean we say with words, right? And in Cambodia, that, that's not true. And so there's, and, and it's not wrong. And, and so a lot of people got, get mis, misunderstand what's happening in Cambodia. They misunderstand, especially when talking to government, maybe what the deal that they're, that they're having is with, with that person. And it doesn't mean that, they're, they're, that, those, that people are trying to mislead them in Cambodia or that people are liars or that, that you know, that people are, are trying to be underhanded in any way. It's actually us that don't understand because a Cambodian would understand right away coming out of that meeting that, you know, this is true, this is not true. You know, an American would come out of the meeting thinking, oh, all these things are true. And then when they didn't happen, they'd be like, man, that guy's a liar. He said this, was, you know, he agreed to that. He said yes when I said it. So he agreed to it, you know, and he didn't, he didn't say no, you know, so um you know, and think that that meant approval. So just little things like that. So that I, I started to assemble all of these little things and it became a book because there's a lot of those little things that are just different in translation between um, Western, I use the term Western very broadly. Uh, I could say Anglo-American um, culture mm -hmm. and Cambodian culture. And it does extend, I think, to some other communities. So I've been told uh, by some people in the French community that some of those things are similar to uh, the misunderstandings that happen. So maybe maybe European and, uh, and um, American culture and and Cambodian culture. So it's kind of a, a translation book, if you if you will, a dictionary almost. <laughs> yeah, that certainly resonates. Actually, when you were saying that, I was thinking across Asia, like this is an issue for. I think Western, let's say broadly Western businesses and entrepreneurs, um, organizations, it's not just businesses, but even NGOs coming into Cambodia and doing development sector work and they just get some kind of a culture shock. And 
there is even there's even less documentation. In fact, there was no documentation, from my understanding, of the kind of book that you wrote actually for Cambodia. So that's why, for me, how useful I think this book is uh, for for people like myself. Actually, like eight years ago, I've now been in Cambodia for for a very long time, but still, I sometimes get a bit like shocked with like, oh, that's right, like this is how how it works, and and it serves as a really good refresher. So. On that on that note, I wanted I was curious about the kind of kind of content, what people can expect from from the book, perspective from the from locals. How should investors and foreign entrepreneurs, uh, or even the development sector, you know, best integrate their investments, their programs in Cambodia? Right. So I would say if I had to pick one kind of overarching theme to everything. Yeah, you don't have to say the whole uh, book. I'm sorry. Please get the book. No, 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 no. So the book is. <laughs> So firstly, the book is organized um, with some sections mm -hmm. uh, that you can just skim over and use as references later. And those, those would be things like how to host a meeting at your office, depending on the different rank or different relationship, not rank, um, relationship between you and the person coming, right? Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, how you receive them, how you host them. Uh, same thing with social events, who pays, when, when you take people out, um, given the different relationships and all those things. So some things are technical like that. It's meant that those sections are meant as a, as a reference guide uh, for you to look back at before you do something. How much to gift at a wedding, how weddings work, how funerals work, um, how holidays work, right? Because this holiday is only three days on the schedule, but my staff show up absent you know, an extra two days, what's going on there? You know, all, the, all those kind of things. And then some things about communication, are meant to be read and understood more deeply and internalized. Mm -hmm. um, same thing about the economic overview, when you try to understand how does Cambodia fit regionally and globally into the, the, the uh, trade picture or the commerce picture, uh, right? So some of that stuff is just very blunt. Uh, how the, how the, um, the internal political systems work and things like that. And it's all stated factually. There's not any uh, judgment put to any of that stuff. I, I tried at least not to put uh, any judgment in there, um, which might actually be a point of criticism for people who are very, um, uh, very uh, staunch uh, in their vocalizations of, of, of value judgments uh, of how the system is here. But I, 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 I didn't do that on purpose because that wouldn't be that helpful for the reader. So I just kind of present things as this is how they are. You know, it's not whether I like it or don't like it. It's not the point. And that gets to my overall point. The overarching theme of the book is this. If you want to be successful you in Cambodia, and I think this is true other places, not just Cambodia, but I'll limit this to Cambodia because that's what we're talking about. You need to open your mind and your heart to understand the way the system is now. Mm -hmm. That sounds simple, but people come here and they spend a lot of time comparing this system to what they know and, and criticizing this system from the reference point of what they know, meaning, oh, things here are totally screwed up. This place should work this way and it doesn't. This should happen this way and it doesn't. This person should do this, but they don't. You know, they don't do their job correctly. They don't do this. They don't do that. Okay. So all of those things may be factually correct. And that could be debated from a philosophical standpoint, a lot of this stuff. But the bottom line is you're trying to be successful here, right? So the first thing is to just close your mouth, open your eyes and ears and your heart 
and learn what the current system is, right? And then figure out how you can work within that system. Now, as Americans, we certainly have a lot of constraints for what we can and can't do within that system, right? We can't participate in certain forms of financial compensation and things that, that Chinese companies may be able to do, right? Okay, so, so we have our design constraints, which everybody has, by the way. Uh, they're different for different groups of people, but everyone is constrained in some way. So we have our constraints. We have the system as it is. How can we navigate within that system to do what we want to do to accomplish what we want to accomplish? And guess what? The answer might not always be yes. We can do what we want to do here. <laughs> but the reason expats like you and me are here is because we can do a lot of what we want to do here within that system, right? And the difference between what makes successful entrepreneurs here and unsuccessful entrepreneurs, and they could be social entrepreneurs too, so this applies to NGOs trying to do programs and things, is that we accept it how it is enough that we can figure out how to work within it. Because guess what? It's not our country. I mean, in my case, I am Cambodian, so it isn't my country. But I mean, broadly speaking, as expats, it's, it's not your country. So it's actually not for you to try to push those kinds of changes, unless it's your mission to do so, right? Um, and as a business person, it's really probably not your, your place to push certain changes. Of course, they relate to your business and your industry and policy. Yes, and we can set the example, right? And that's the way we can make change, right? We can set the example for being the best kind of employer, right? showing people how that's done. And we and then people want to work for us. And that raises the market standard, thereby changing the market, right? And so, but that's still working within the constraints of the system. And so I think that that's a really uh, important thing for anyone who wants to be successful here is to stop judging mm -hmm. very early. You know your values. So don't be threatened when you see values different than yours, right? Because you know your values and you're going to abide by your values. Somebody else can have you know, different values, as long as it's not touching your nose, right? And, 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 and as long as it's not something that's, you know, morally reprehensible to everybody, like slavery and things like that, right? So I think that we can, we can figure out those things as Americans here, as Westerners more broadly here to work within the system and be successful. Wow, that's a very powerful it's content. That I was, no, that was good. But uh, there's a lot to process for me as well, because I was also thinking what came up was the, the mindset aspect, because the content that you've got in that book are tactics and activities and advice that people can do. They can do, they can learn, they go and take action on. Uh, and it answers a lot of questions for them, like what to do in meetings and things like that. But it sounds like they kind of need to read this book already with this understanding, like you said, with that open heart. How have did you have a journey for yourself where there was a conflict of values as well? Or maybe there are friends or colleagues that you've worked with and had to advise? Like, what would you say to people that have just come? And, and when they go through that internal conflict, how would you advise them to go through that? Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely had a personal journey on this. And I came with the NGO sector, right? Mm -hmm. And to do deep mining work, which, which I, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great, I feel really good about that work. Uh, it's really important. Can I just say, in truth, there, a lot of people felt really good about your work doing the demining no, efforts no. in Cambodia. No. So, thank you from everyone. So, no, sorry. no, I, 
you know, but, but I mean, I got paid, you know, and I, and I did my, I, you know, so it's not, you know, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't altruistic in that way. Right. I mean, it was that I wanted to use my skills from the army for um, getting rid of things that killed people. Like that did matter to me, of course. But at the same time, I mean, I, you know, I got paid. I, I lived a good life here as an expat at that time too. Right. And so that's, that, that is what it is. No, I think, um, I think what I say in the beginning of the book, and it's harsh, right? When I say, I say, you know, Cambodia doesn't need you, you know, just like your country doesn't need you. Like Cambodia will continue to function with or without you, just like your country will continue to function when you're here in Cambodia, right? So I think that, that we need to all as people just have a certain level of humility, right? That, that look, what we're doing can be great. It can, it can help society and all that, but it needs to start with the fact that we're not necessary here. Meaning like we come here and we, you know, sometimes as NGO workers and, and we feel very righteous about the work that we're doing. And, 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 you know, and so, and that automatically sets up something that you need to overcome, a barrier that you need to overcome, right? Which is that, you know, yes, your work is great, but if you weren't here, that work would still be getting done probably by somebody else. And if it wasn't being done by somebody else, well, the country would still be developing economically and people's lives would still be getting better because that's the trend the country's up. The, the trend that this country is on is one of economic development. And that's largely due to the fact that, you know, I mean, it, it started at a very low point and it needs to continue to grow. And it's also due to, you know, economic policy that's you know, favorable here and it's a great business environment and, and a lot of things like that. But but it's just to say don't don't think you're so right in everything that you're doing that you can't accept what other ways of doing things. And so I think we have we just have to start at that point, you know, if we want to be successful. Yeah. <laughs> Were there certain things that you did that helped with dealing with the stress or dealing with the conflict that there you were feeling um one thing is you need cambodian friends mm. so <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a strange thing to say right but 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 i think anytime we were we're insular mm -hmm. in it as expats we're we're starting to have we start to get in this in this like you know negative cycle of, of, you know, they're doing things wrong and we're all doing things right. And, you know, so you really need to make sure you, you don't, it's, it's called the expat bubble, right? You know, people yeah. say you live in an expat bubble, but, but I think it's, it's way worse than that. You know, normally when, when people say that they mean, you know, somebody's living a, um, you know, they're living a foreign life within this land, right? So they're living at this really high standard and their friends are all expats and, and this kind of thing. But I think, I think it's more insidious than just their lifestyle, right? I mean, because you could criticize that lifestyle. People have lifestyles you might criticize back in your home country too, right? And so, and, and, but, but I think it's more insidious because it, it sets up that us and them dynamic. And I mentioned that in the book in terms of company culture also. It's like, make sure you don't distinguish between expats and locals in meetings, mm -hmm. in uh, extracurricular functions, um, even, you know, I know sometimes we have to do it on pay because that's market practice, right? 
pay and benefits package. So sometimes we have to do that because that's what we need to do to attract talent in private sector and NGO sector. We just have to be practical about that. But socially in your company culture, you need to break down as many of those barriers as you can. Yeah. And, and so in our, in our lives, we also need to do that. We need to have Cambodian friends when we're here, because when we make those personal connections, we can understand those other points of view much better. That's such a powerful tip. Is that in your book? Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> again, that's super simple, right? <laughs> like that, that seems, it seems obvious. You say it, everyone who you'd say that to would be like, of course. Right. So, so the book is not that it, <laughs> not that the book is like some you know confucian wisdom or something like that right it's all it's all practical stuff it just takes time to sink in and so i put all those things that take time to learn and sink in as lessons and kind of they they've been distilled for me over 10 years so i put them on the page that's 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 what we're looking at. can i just say though that even though that sounds because it does sound super obvious but it's not something top of mind. You don't go to a bar and go, I'm going to look for one Khmer. Maybe some people might do that if they're very action oriented. But it, for some reason, like for me, myself, that wasn't top of mind. I happen to make Cambodian friends because of my nature, but I can, and I also know people who didn't, who really were in silos and just echoing each other's opinions about how terrible things this were or that were. And I was thinking, this is, uh, really bad actually you're you're i think almost coaching yourselves into a spiral there you know and and then you leave with a with a sour taste in your mouth um and it's for me it's a disaster because you come you invest and you do all these things and you fail uh, and you quit and you leave and for me i think that that is a a sense of of, a failure especially if you didn't learn the lesson so on, on that note um where i mean this book sounds great so where can we find it where can people get this book Oh, thanks, G. So it is available on Amazon in markets that have Amazon. So in most most markets where there's Amazon available, uh, you can buy the the paperback um, or you can buy the Kindle version. And actually, right now there's a promotion I'm I'm running because we just launched uh, where we're participating in Kindle Unlimited. So if you subscribe to Kindle Unlimited, you can have the book at no cost. Actually, you can read it on the Kindle bookshelf. Uh, for no cost. If you're here in Cambodia, you can buy it at Monument Books. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few locations for Monument Books, uh, Exchange Square on Nordam, and then also in Relay, the in the International Departure Terminal of Phnom Penh and Siem Reap. Cool. Fantastic. Well, I, I want to thank you for your time and sharing and putting the time, of course, I mean, writing a book is not, not a weekend project. For some people it might, but it sounds like all those conversations were like a decade plus of just conglomerating all that wisdom into one book. So from from my perspective as a as an entrepreneur, I want to thank you. I think someone needed to put it together and I'm glad it was you. Yo, thanks so much, G. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>